Hey, well, I am so excited uh, to be in the house of God. Like I said, I love coming to church, but especially on a, a day like today, if you didn't know, Today is Palm Sunday, all right? It's Palm Sunday. It's a big day uh, in, in the Christian and Jewish tradition, of course. But, but for us as Christians, we believe this is the time that Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem, right? The triumphal entry, okay? We're gonna talk about what this means for us uh, today. We're gonna look at a few elements of that. But uh, if you don't know, maybe if, if you didn't grow up in, in maybe a Catholic or, or more of a liturgical tradition of Christianity, okay, you might not know some of this stuff. And so I wanna break it down for everybody that's here, all right? Maybe you grew up non-denominational where, you know, you just kind of go with the flow. You know what I mean? Like, you don't even know what's going on. You're just like, I'm going to church today. Who knows? Like, I don't know what's going on. But some of y'all in, in the Catholic tradition, I know many people did come from that. This is, this is a big deal, right? And we celebrate these things and we look to these dates and we look to this calendar uh, to really guide our faith, right? Everybody knows about Christmas and Easter, right? Everybody knows about that. But there's so many other days that are, have very, very significant importance in our faith. So I wanna talk to you today about these things. So uh, Palm Sunday, right? It's the beginning of Holy Week and it's the celebration of this uh, triumphal entry that Jesus has coming into Jerusalem, and what do we know about Jesus at this time? Well, before this time, he'd been ministering for about three years at this point. He started around the age of 30, okay? And he ministers and travels around with his disciples. He goes and uh, he heals the sick, right? He opens blind eyes. And he, he's going around and, and mesmerizing people with these crazy miracles, things that they've just never seen uh, before. He's picking up people that are paralyzed, right? And they've been paralyzed for their entire lives, 30, 40 years. He's picking these people up and saying, get up. And they, they go back and they're telling their friends and family and they're just amazed, even to the point where he's raising people from the dead. Now, this is just some crazy stuff that they had never seen before. And so he did that for, for three years. And then Jesus knew though that the time had come for him to go to Jerusalem where he would reveal himself to the masses, right? As the son of God, as the Messiah that these people, the Jews had been waiting for. And he would eventually be crucified for these claims just a few days later. And that's incredible. But Palm Sunday, right, it's, it's traditionally a celebration, right? It's, it's a great day. It's, it's a happy day where we celebrate this, this entry of Jesus, this victory that we know that he's bringing, right? But it also gives us a reason to pause and reflect a little bit internally on how things could go from celebration to crucifixion in just a few days. And so that's the title of today's message is From Celebration to Crucifixion. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine a few of the things of Palm Sunday, a few of the elements that you might see. It's known as Passion Sunday as well. You might have heard that as well. But uh, we're going to look at a few of those elements of the triumphal entry and see what they mean for us today. Can we do that? We good? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, help me to communicate this word the best way that I can. Thank you so much that you do bring us victory and that when you come into the room, there is always, always a victory. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The first thing we're going to look at today is the donkey. Everybody say the donkey. the donkey. Say it the other way in the Bible. I'm just kidding. Don't say that, y'all. Don't say it. Don't do it. We in church now. I'm just kidding. It's all good. But hey, we're going to look at the donkey. That's the first element of Palm Sunday. So we're going to be in Matthew 21 for most of the day today. If you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, usually it'll be out of the NIV, but it'll be up on the screen for you as well if you don't have yours with you. Matthew 21, 1 through 7. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed the cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So we look at this. This is kind of the beginning of this. Jesus is just outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And he's saying to his disciples, hey, I need you to go to the next town over. There's going to be a dude. He's going to have a donkey. I need you to get it from him and just bring it to me. Now, we don't know if this guy knew Jesus. Maybe he had some kind of relationship with him. Maybe he had heard of him before. Or maybe Jesus just knew that if he just went and the disciples would just convince him to let him like have his donkey for some reason. We don't know why. But Jesus had this foreknowledge, knew that it was going to happen. So they get this donkey, bring it back to him. And he starts to ride in on this donkey. Now, generally, if you're, if this is like a king, right, which that's what they were expecting to come into Jerusalem that day, you wouldn't be riding on a donkey, right? You would be on a horse or a camel, something a little bit more regal than that, okay? Like you would have people, this company with you. It'd be this big, you know, thing of you coming in, right? But, 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 but Jesus was actually fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy, as it said right there. And I actually want to show you what that one was. It's actually in Isaiah and Zechariah, two prophecies from the Old Testament. But we're going to look at Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, if you know anything about Old to New Testament, all right, Old Testament was written well before Jesus even showed up on the scene. This, this verse right here was a prophecy. This guy lived way before Jesus did, and he was prophesying that the Messiah was going to come on a donkey. And I don't know about you, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, have you ever had a code word for something? You ever had a code word with your spouse? Maybe a code word with your friend. Uh, me and my buddy Stephen, uh, who's over there in kids with his wife Caroline, we made a uh, we made a entire language because I, I wasn't actually planning on saying this, but this is kind of funny. I'm saying it anyway. So we had an entire language because we went to Christian school, y'all, and you can't you can't you don't cuss in Christian school, okay? So we wanted to be able we wanted to be able to, to say curse words without saying them, and so we made up an entire language, an entire code word system of curse words. So that if we wanted to say one, we would just say tomato, and that meant something really bad, okay, right? And that, that's what you do in, when you're seventh and eighth grade, okay? So we had these code words, and we would, like, make fun of people and do stupid things or whatever. He's going to be mad at me that I even mentioned that, right? But, but maybe let's say you have a code word with your spouse, okay? Uh, and and you're, you're at a party, and your wife, you know, she's talking to somebody, and she starts saying something like, uh, yeah, you know, Mark and I, uh, we went the other day uh, to get some turkey sandwiches from this uh, sandwich place because I heard they have really good turkey at the turkey sandwich place. And so we got that and, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was pretty good. And then Mark's over here like, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, uh, we, d- we did. We got some turkey sandwiches from, and you know what, speaking of food, actually, uh, you know what, guys, I think me and my wife, we need to go ahead and get out of here. She, she needs some food. We know we got to go do this other thing. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Love you guys. See you later. Right. And then you get out of there and you get to the car and your wife's like, oh my goodness, thank you so much for getting me out of there. There was like this awkward situation. Like this person was here. I needed to get out of there. And you had that code word turkey, right? And that's what got you out of that situation. The beauty of a code word is that you and that other person are the only ones that know about the code word, right? That's the cool part of having one. And only the people that are informed of the code word are going to be the people that will understand it. So 
That's actually what this donkey kind of represents for the Jewish people here. The donkey was the code word. That was the code word to represent that Jesus was the Messiah. As he was coming in, he, they, these people knew that Jesus was the Messiah as he was coming in. But here's the deal. You and I, or any other culture, any other people group at that time, if they would have seen Jesus riding in on a donkey, uh, they might have thought it was just a little weird, right? Like, why is this dude coming in on a donkey? And they're like celebrating this guy. Like, I mean, you would think he'd be on a horse or something. Like, you know, like I said, a little bit more regal, but, but it wouldn't have meant the same thing that it meant to the Jewish people, right? Because they knew their Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. They knew the scriptures. And they knew that they were expecting a Messiah to come in on a donkey. So that's why they were celebrating this. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, right? You, you and I might look at this and not understand it, but those people knew. And, and not only that, but Jesus knew what he was doing, but he knew that they knew, right? And so there's this kind of mutual connection here where he's kind of claiming for the first time He's making a deliberate claim that he is the Messiah to all of these people without actually having to say it. He's just fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. And usually Jesus would keep his identity under wraps. Right? You see all throughout the New Testament, Jesus would heal somebody and he would say, now go and don't tell anybody about this, right? Just, just get out of here. But how many of you know, if you've been paralyzed for 30 years and he picks you up off the ground and, and your legs just like start working again and he says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Really? I'm going to go tell everyone about this. It's going to be kind of obvious, Jesus, okay? Like I'm walking, all right? You know, so you go back and you tell everybody about it. And so his fame had started to kind of grow a little bit. But the problem is, is he knew that when he was 30 and he started his ministry, if he would have just came right out and just been like, I am the son of God, behold me, right? You know, like he would have been crucified within five days, okay? Just like he was when he came into Jerusalem. So he had to, to do a lot of groundwork, a lot of legwork beforehand before he finally just was like, hey, listen, like this is how it is, right? And so he kept that identity under wraps except for a select few people. But when he comes into Jerusalem this time, he's signaling, hey, listen, like, I know that, 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 that I'm telling you what I'm telling you. And he knew that the end was very near for him. Because they knew who he was, the Jews, they were excited, right? They were super pumped. I mean, they, they knew this is the Messiah. Like, this is the guy that is going to save us. Okay, they're excited to welcome him. They had been waiting for him for years because of the Roman oppression that they had been experiencing for a very, very long time. Uh, Rome had occupied Jerusalem, and they had been oppressed for many, many years by the Roman Empire, okay? You know, it was a, if you took history class in high school, right, you know it was a massive, massive empire, and so they were so pumped because they were expecting that Jesus was about to do something amazing. So this was a celebration. This was a party. And that's what brings us to the next thing. So number one, the donkey. You get some notes in there. But number two, the second and third elements kind of are the cloaks and branches. The cloaks and branches. In Matthew 21, 8 through 9, we're going to go back to this passage. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, first we're going to take a look at the cloaks. Now, if, if I was walking into the room or, or somebody important was coming into the room and you guys just started like taking off your shirts and throwing it in front of me, That'd be kind of weird, right? Okay, that's like not a normal thing for somebody to do, okay? It's like, all right, like I appreciate you guys. Like, thank you so much, but you can put your clothes back on, all right? That's weird. Okay, don't do that. That's not a cultural thing that we would understand. But back in the day, in ancient times, laying down your cloak in front of somebody 
was a symbol of recognizing this person as not only very important, but also as a king. It was a symbol of kingship. And it's also an Old Testament uh, symbol that we have here in the story of Jehu, okay? So in 2 Kings, there is this really interesting story of this guy, Jehu. But it starts with a, a prophet. And he tells this one dude, he's like, hey, I need you to go find Jehu, all right? And you're gonna go anoint him as a king of Israel. You're gonna take the oil, put it on him, say, God has appointed you as king of Israel, right? And then after you do that, I just need you to like book it and just run away. And the dude's like, okay, like sure, sounds good, you know? So he goes and finds Jehu, just like he said he would. And then he finds him, anoints him, and then just takes off, right? He says, God has appointed you as the king of Israel, bye. You know, he just like runs away. And it's like, okay, that's random. And so Jehu kind of comes back over to his buddies and, and um, they were like, hey, like, what happened? Like, what was that about? You, know, you got some like stuff on your head, you know? <laughs> like, like what, what happened to you? And he's like, ah, uh, you know, it's, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, like you know, this guy, you know, he came in and he was kind of crazy looking, but he like put some oil on my head and said, I'm the king of the Israel now. And, and you know, God has appointed me to this. It, it was kind of weird. I don't really understand it. And the guys were like, no, this is a big deal. And in 2 Kings 9, 13, it says, they quickly took off their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. He's king. They immediately knew that after he was anointed, that was the first response that they had was, man, I'm taking this off. I'm laying this in front of you because, hey, listen, you're the king now, okay? And we recognize you as a king. So bring it back to the Jews many, many years later. They're taking off their cloaks and laying in front of Jesus. Why? Because they are declaring him as king and they're expecting him to do something amazing and to take his rightful place on the throne of Israel. Our king has arrived. This is a big deal, okay? And so then the next thing that they did, that's the cloaks. What about the branches? Okay, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a branch over here. Sorry, you're gonna have to follow me over here real quick. Where at that though? Okay, I got a palm branch here, guys. Uh, this is actually from our, this is actually from our house here in Plum Creek. Um, and one of the reasons why I loved, we, 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 we bought this property because it has a cool backyard. It's like an oasis, y'all. We have four palm trees in the backyard and it is beautiful, y'all. I love it. Uh, but unfortunately with the freeze, most of them are not looking so hot right now. Okay. This was one of the best looking branches that I could find uh, to cut off. And that's really sad because I mean, it ain't looking that great. Right. Uh, but our two really big ones, they're just every single one of them are dead. I know if you guys live anywhere, anywhere, and you have any kind of citrus tree or you have a palm tree or anything, you know, that it is struggling right now. A lot of them died in that freeze, uh, during Snowvid, but you would never cut this off on, on a normal basis, right? You're not just going to go like cutting palm branches off for any reason. Maybe unless you're going to prune the, the, the palm tree or you're trying to cut it back for some reason. Maybe if it's like rubbing up against your house or, you know, something weird like that, uh, you need to take some weight off. I don't know what it might be, but you would never cut one of these off, but that's exactly what they did. And that was a very normal thing for them to do, actually. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a movie. There's, there's so many movies, I guess, that you could point to, but even like some of the animated movies, like Joseph, Prince of Egypt, right? You're like, you see all these movies and then they have like the palm branches and it's some like royalty person's coming in all regal-like and then they're like waving the palm branches on them or like trying to cool them off or they're providing shade over the top of them. Oh man, that, bright, that light is bright. I can see y'all now, what's up? But you, you see... Many, many times they would use these branches for royalty, for people of importance. This was a way for them to celebrate 
uh, the ancestors, right? The ancestors would use this as a celebration tool uh, for a triumph that maybe had happened. When the soldiers would come home from war, what would they do? They would take these palm branches, they would wave them, and they would just be so excited. They would wave them around, they would jump around, they would have these palm branches, they would lay them down at their feet, and they would wave them around so excitedly like middle school girls at a Justin Bieber concert. Like, it was just like, they loved it, okay? I mean, they were all about it, and, and they would cut those off. That was a normal thing for them to do. So, That's what they were doing with these palm branches is they were so excited to wave them because they saw him not only as king, but just as as royalty. He was very important and they wanted to honor him in that way. So then the next thing we get to, we have the donkey, we have the the cloaks, we have the branches. Now, what about this one? The phrases and praises. If you want to write this down, the phrases and praises is the next thing that we see as an element here. And we look back and it says, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. A son of the highest, right? Like in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They would say that over and over and over again. What does Hosanna mean? That's not like a regular word that you would say. Like you're not going around like when something great happens, you're like, oh yeah, Hosanna, what's up? You know, like that's not like a thing that you would say in our language, right? So Hosanna, when you translate it, it means something like save us, please. It has some different connotations, but I want to read this to you and kind of help us explain this a little bit better. So Hosanna is often translated, please save us. And it's a Greek word that most scholars believe would be the transliteration of two Hebrew words. Transliteration meaning bringing two words together to make a new word, okay? Uh, The first one would be yasha, which means to save or deliver, and ana, which means please, I beseech. But other scholars might believe that the, the Hebrew roots come from a different verb tense of yasha, which actually means to cause or to bring about salvation, And in this tense, Hosanna becomes more of a command to bring about salvation or to cause salvation. And so essentially it was used as a way of saying, we know salvation is coming and we know it's coming from you, right? Would you please help us? (laughs) That's pretty much what it means. All in all, it's crazy. You look at these different words and you break them down in the original languages they were written in. And there's a lot of times a lot more of a rich meaning to these words. And so it means we know the salvation is coming. We know it's coming from the Messiah. And we know that you are now the Messiah as you're riding in now on this donkey. And so they're begging him for this salvation. They know that they need a victory. They know they need salvation. But in less than a week, These same people with the cloaks, with the branches, with the phrases and praises, those would be the same people that'd be throwing rocks at him, the same people that would be cursing him, the same people that would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, the same people. How can that change so, so quickly? Well, they expected a victory from Jesus, right? They're thinking, we're going to get this big victory we've been waiting for, but maybe they were asking for it in the wrong way. Maybe they were expecting a different kind of victory. And so the last thing today is, number four, the victory. That's the last element that we see here in Palm Sunday. And I want to ask you this this question too. Have you ever had a drink, like let's say you go to, you go to Chick-fil-A, God's chicken, right? Amen. You go to Chick-fil-A and you order a Dr. Pepper. This has happened to me multiple times, right? I order Dr. Pepper, uh, get my chicken, go, and then, you, you know, put your straw in and you're like trying to drive home and like drink the drink, you know, and you take a sip and it's not Dr. Pepper. And you're like, whoa, like, what is that? You know, it's like sweet tea or something. It's completely different. Now, if it was a different, 
you know, soda, it might be not as bad. But if it's like you are expecting a caffeinated, you know, like bubbly drink, uh, and then you end up getting a tea, that's like a completely different sensation in your mouth going on, right? That is completely different. And so it's going to freak you out for a second. It's like, whoa, like that is not what I expected. And, and you might initially even be like, ugh, like that's, no, like what's happening here? Because your brain is freaking out about it. That's not what you ordered, okay? Uh, and, but actually the problem is, is that sweet tea is good, especially from Chick-fil-A. Now we live in the South, y'all, okay? And now sweet tea is some good stuff and actually might be the preferred option of the saints of God, okay? So uh, it's some good stuff, right? Especially from God's chicken shack, Chick-fil-A. So it's some good stuff. But it's not what you expected. It's not what you ordered. Uh, What about a child, okay? I have a two and a half year old son, Oakland, like I told you about earlier. Let's say, for example, that Lindsay is promising our son Oakland fruit snacks all day long. Like he goes to sleep at night. She says, Oakland, you're going to get fruit snacks tomorrow at snack time. And he's like, oh my goodness, I can't wait. Mommy, yes, fruit snacks. And she's like, yeah, tomorrow at snack time, you're going to get some fruit snacks. And then he wakes up in the morning, fruit snacks? Like, no, not yet. But you're going to get some fruit snacks at snack time, I promise. Okay, all right. Mid-morning, he's getting a little fussy. He's like, he's like saying, no, no, he's stomping around like, hey. You got the fruit snacks coming. You better, you know, straighten up or else you're not going to get them fruit snacks at snack time, right? Immediately. Okay, mommy, sounds good. Okay, all right, all right, all right. And then at lunchtime, can I get my fruit snacks now? No, not yet. We got to wait until after your nap, you're going to get your fruit snacks. He wakes up from his nap. It's finally time for the fruit snacks. He goes and sits in his chair and then you give him a bowl of ice cream. Now, how many of you know, if you know a child, they're going to be very confused, right? And actually many times they'll be upset that you gave them that because they wanted fruit snacks. They've been waiting on them fruit snacks all day long, but you gave ice cream? Like, what is wrong with you, right? But the problem is, is ice cream, I think we can all agree, is a lot better than fruit snacks, right? I mean, come on. Maybe some kids might just completely be like, oh, okay, I got ice cream now. But for the most part, many, many children would be very upset because they had been promised this. They had been told this. They had expected this for so long. When it was different than what they wanted, doesn't matter that it's actually better than the thing that they had asked for, better than the thing that they wanted. They're going to be upset about it no matter what it is. This is exactly what happened. The problem is, is as humans, we don't like change, We don't like something that's not what we expected. This is what it was supposed to be, so this is what I want. Anything else is considered worse, even if it's actually better. What they wanted was for Jesus to come in and defeat Rome, right? They wanted that, but Jesus actually came, we know, to defeat Satan, amen? They wanted him to save them from a a physical death, right, from the Roman oppression. They wanted him to save them from that, but he came to save them from themselves, They wanted him to establish an earthly kingdom, but Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Is there somebody that's grateful for that in the house today, that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, not in the way that you and I might expect, but in a way that was way, way better. They cried, Hosanna, please save us, help us. They expected a victory, but Jesus brought a victory that was better than they could have ever imagined. A victory over sin, a victory over guilt, a victory over shame, a victory over condemnation, over every disease, over every sickness. Jesus brought a victory over death itself. And I want to ask you today, are you looking for a victory in your life today? Because maybe you're looking for it or looking at it in the wrong way. Where the Jews got it wrong is they filtered their perception of Jesus through the lens of their problems. I'm going to say that again because that's very, very important for us to understand. 
Where they got it wrong is they filtered their perception of Jesus through the lens of their problems. They first looked at the problem and said, how does Jesus fit into this problem? How does Jesus work out in my situation and in my problem that I have in my life? When instead, we know that they should have looked to Jesus first and say, you know what? How does my problem measure up to him? Because how many of you know that Jesus is bigger than any problem, than any situation that you have in your life? He is big enough to handle the thing that is in your life. I promise. So instead of focusing on the problem, today will we turn our focus to the person of Jesus. Don't focus on your situation, focus on your savior. And the problem is, is they were looking at Jesus. This is the thing that I think, and it's a very, very important distinction we have to make because they were looking at Jesus. It's not like they didn't see him. It's not like they missed it. He was right there, but they were filtering him through their problems first, instead of just looking to him for who he was first. That's very, very important. It's a very different way of looking at Jesus. Jesus brings victory wherever he goes. And if you need a victory in your life today, you need to turn to Jesus. Why? Because we said it, there is nothing that is too big for him to handle. There's no war that he hasn't won. There's no sin that he hasn't already conquered. There's no sickness that he can't heal. There's no marriage he can't restore. There's no addiction that he can't break. There's no storm that he can't calm. And I promise you that there is victory for you in your life if you will turn your eyes to Jesus and look to him first, not filtering him through your perception of him, not filtering him through your perception of your problems, but just looking to him at who he actually is and what he is for you. I promise promise there is victory in your life. Somebody say amen today. And get the band to come on up too. I'm, I'm real excited to, to take communion with y'all. We're going to do that in just a moment, but I want to kind of wrap up this message of Palm Sunday and what it means for us. The message of Palm Sunday, really, and there's many different themes and things that we could pull out of it, right? But I believe at least for today, the message that I'm getting and that I feel like the Lord wanted to get across to you is that your victory won't always come in the way that you expect. Yeah. When you put your faith in him, you will receive the ultimate victory. You will. What is that? It's a thriving relationship with God. It's a life that's filled with hope. It's a life that's filled with peace, of love, and of joy. And an eternal life with God forever. But the sad thing about this story, as we look to the next few days in Holy Week, we know what happens. That just a few days later, some of those same people shouting, cheering, excited, laying down the cloaks and waving the branches, going all nuts for him, they'd turn on him. And one thing that has become even more evident, I think this last year, maybe any other time in history, okay, we could argue, is that public opinion can shift very quickly, right? Public opinion on somebody or something can shift real fast. And that's exactly what happened here. When they realized he wasn't going to do exactly what they thought he should do, what they wanted him to do, when their victory was coming in a way that they didn't yet understand, they betrayed him and they led him straight to his death. And we're going to talk about those last few days of Jesus next week for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We're going to talk about those last few days and celebrate his resurrection and the ultimate victory that we know that we have in Jesus, right? But before that, 
uh, I want to do something because there, there's this other day in the middle of the week that's a little bit lesser known by some people. We celebrate maybe Palm Sunday, Good Friday. We celebrate the resurrection, right? But there's another day called Maundy Thursday, right? After Jesus enters Jerusalem, he comes in, massive celebration. The first thing he does, he goes to the temple and is so mad because they've turned this temple into a den of thieves, a den of robbers is what he says. He starts flipping over tables, right? He's, he's so angry because of what he sees there, that this is a place where they were being cheated. The Jews are being cheated, right? There were people from all over. They were selling things at ridiculous prices. They were just being, they were gambling, all kinds of bad, bad things that were happening in the temple, in the courts of God. And so he starts flipping over these tables. He said, no, no, no. But then he goes and starts teaching over the next few days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just a few days. He starts sparring with the religious leaders of the day over biblical texts, over things that, 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 that they should agree on, but right, these Pharisees and the Sadducees were so consumed with power, so consumed with them being in charge, they thought that they knew better than Jesus and they couldn't see him for who he was. He was right in front of them and they missed him. He was healing people who were sick. He was doing more miracles. It was amazing. And this Thursday, we celebrate Maundy Thursday, which is a time that we would traditionally remember Jesus having the last supper with his disciples. Getting together to have this last meal. He knows what's about to happen. They still don't understand. They've been with him for three years and they still, they just don't get it. What we might now know as communion. That's how we remember it today. That's how we celebrate it today. And it's in Matthew 26. I'm going to start here. Matthew 26, 20 through 22. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him uh, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you don't mean me. Have, Have you ever thought that before? Thought to yourself, like, there's no way I would turn my back on God, right? There's no way I would do that. But then yet so many of us, we see time and time again, let that relationship with the Lord fade over time. Judas, who had been with Jesus, walked with this man who was also God in the flesh for three years, would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Some of you started out with palm branches and cloaks, but traded them in for 30 pieces of silver. And that's really disheartening because I know many, many people in my life that I've seen that. They started off strong, zealous for God, excited to be in a relationship with Jesus. But then over time, they've let that relationship fade and instead they traded in for the things of the world. And it's many times not an immediate thing where they just decide that I'm not going to have this relationship. I decide that I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. Many times it is a slow fade, right? And we trade in our palm branches and cloaks, understanding who the king is, waving this around, being excited and zealous for Jesus over time. Sometimes we put those things down and we pick our cloak back up. That's mine. We don't want to cut off our palm branches because they look beautiful, right? I'm not going to mess with that. And we trade it in for 30 pieces of silver. Are you one of the ones who has stayed by Jesus' side? Would you be one of the ones that did? I know it's a question many of us would ask ourselves, right? If I was there, would I be one of the ones saying crucify him? 
Or would I be one of the ones that stayed true until the end, right? You have to ask yourself that question. Maybe you've never given your life over to Jesus. You've, you've never had a relationship with him. You would have been one of the outsiders, right? That didn't understand the code word of the donkey, right? You were one of those people, uh, they would call in the Bible, the Gentiles, right? Maybe you're somebody that's never had a relationship. You're here today in church and you're just like, you know what? I, I don't really know if I believe in Jesus, right? But you're coming here today and you feel that God is tugging on your heart. You feel him saying, you know what? There's, there's more to this life than you understand. There's more to the life that you have than what you see right now. And God is calling you into a relationship with him. I just want to tell you today, God loves you. He loves every single one of you. No matter what you've been through, no matter what situation you're going through in your life, I would just ask you, will you turn your eyes to Jesus today? Not filter him through the lens of your problems, not filtering him through the lens of your experiences and what's happened to you in your life. But will you look to Jesus today and say, you know what? I'm seeing you for who you really are as a God who loves me, who cares for me, who has a plan for me. And maybe there's some of you here today that have gone away and you've lost a little bit of that zeal, lost a little bit of that fervor for God. Man, just turn your eyes back to him and look to him today. I promise you, he has a victory for you and your life. So what I want to do right now is everybody stands in this place today. I want to pray for, not only for salvation, but also for forgiveness. I want to pray for both of these things. If there's any of you here today that you would say, you know what, Pastor Trevor, that's me. I have not been following Jesus. I have kind of turned away from him and I want to rededicate my life to him. I want to look to him for salvation. I know that, that this is what I'm supposed to do. I feel God tugging on my heart right now. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him before and that's you as well. You say, you know what, I'm feeling this. I really do believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sins so that I can have a relationship with God, so I can have that abundant life that Jesus said that we would have. If that's you, on the count of three, I would just love for you to raise your hand and we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna clap along with you because this is a huge decision that you're making. So if there is anybody here today, I just want you to raise that hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Is there anybody here today that would say, hey, I wanna give my life to Jesus or I wanna rededicate my life to Jesus? Okay, all right, hey, that's great news. You know what I think? That means, is there somebody in the back? Come on. Hey, I see you, man. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. Hey, I see you, buddy. That's bold, right? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else that would say, hey, that's me. Just, just let me see your hand real fast. You put it right back down. Come on. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know what? It says in, in the Bible that heaven celebrates anytime somebody gives their life to Jesus. But I also believe anytime somebody comes back into the fold. Come on, like that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. When you're coming back into the fold of the family of God, I believe we can celebrate that as well. So I'm going to pray for salvation. Right? Pray for forgiveness. Maybe it's somewhere in your heart, man. And if there's anybody else that you're feeling that, but you didn't have the, the guts maybe to raise your hand, listen, I would just ask you, will you pray this prayer along with us today? Dear Jesus, I ask right now that you would just heal me, God, that you would forgive me of my sins today. I recognize you as my savior today. In my heart and in my mind, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so that I could be free from sin. You could be free from death. Jesus, I know that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. That you, you rose again on the third day 
And now you're alive and you have a plan for me in my life. And God, I'm just submitting myself to you. I'm saying, you know what? I'm putting my cloak down before you. I'm waving my palm branch to you today, right now. Jesus is saying, you are king. You are the royalty. You are the king and the savior of my life today. And Jesus, I give you praise. I give you honor. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give it up for people that maybe prayed that for the first time? That's amazing. Hey, that's good. Now what I want to do is, is go into a time of communion. And you should have uh, the elements there. It's kind of just a little packet. It makes it a little bit easier for us. But you got the bread. You got the, the juice there. Go ahead and take that. But what I want to do before we, before we take it, the Bible instructs us to make sure that before we, we do partake of communion, that we're right before God, right? And that's why I want to make sure that we, we had an opportunity for everybody that wanted to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to him first. But there's also some people that have been great, you know, solid Christian people, right? You know, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm going after Jesus, right? Like I'm, I'm striving to be more like him, but you know what? We all still fall short. We all still have sin in our lives. And so we need to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. And if you don't, then I would encourage you to do that. Ask for forgiveness from God, right? And he'll heal your heart. Talk with a friend about something that you're going through. You could find healing in that as well. What I want us to do is if there's anybody in this room today that you know, like, hey, I just, I need some for forgiveness in my life for things that are not pleasing to God, things that are offensive to God. It says in the Bible that, that basically sin is offensive to God, right? We need to make sure that we are holy before him. And that's something that's counterculture, right? Culture says, do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good. No, no, God says, be holy as I am holy, right? So we want to make sure that we ask for forgiveness right now. I just want to pray that over you. If you have something in your heart that you know you need forgiveness for, okay, just hold your hand out and just ask God for forgiveness right now as I pray. Lord Jesus, I ask right now, even for myself, for everybody in this room, would you forgive us of our sins, God? Forgive us where we have failed, where we have gone off the track that you have set for us. Lord, we know that we're not perfect. We try to be as much like you, Jesus, as we can, but we know that we're sinful people, God, but we want to be like you. We want to be holy before you, God. We want to be blameless and righteous before you, God, so that we can have the best life, that abundant life that Jesus promised us, that abundant life of hope, of peace, of joy. God, we want that. We want to honor you, Lord, today. And so we ask for forgiveness of our sins. Would you wash us clean, white as snow, God? And we believe that as we ask for forgiveness, that you are faithful to take those sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. They are gone. We declare right now in the name of Jesus, we turn to you. We repent and we look to you today, Father, for guidance in our lives, for the victory in our lives. In Jesus' name. So what we're going to do now is read in Matthew 26. We're going to take the bread first. Courage, would you mind grabbing me one, brother? That's a cool name, right? Courage. Thank you, brother. Love you. It says in Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. What this represents is the body of Jesus that he offered up for us on the cross. Now, if you know anything about the cross and and, and the crucifixion and, and how 
terrible of a death that was really, it was a horrible way to die. It was a form of torture. And Jesus put himself up on that cross, went through so much bodily pain and suffering so that you and I would not have to, when we die, die forever and be in in, an eternity of, of punishment. No, no, no. He died and took all the sin upon himself on his body. And he felt the weight of our sin on his body so that we could have life. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray over this right now and then we'll take it together. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, for offering your body for us. Going through what you went through to feel the pain, the nails being driven through your hands, through your feet, offering up your body as a living sacrifice as you then later instructed us to do. And God, that's what we do right now is we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. God, we offer ourselves to you today. And we say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Everybody in this room, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise today, God. Let's take this together. Now to the cup. Matthew 26, 27. Then he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, they had different offerings that they would do, different sacrifices that they would do. One of them is they would have to offer up animal sacrifices. They would have to pour the blood out of these different animals for different sins, different things like that. This was a part of God's law in in ancient times. And what Jesus did is he came and he changed all of it. He said, you know what? I will offer my blood as a sacrifice for every sin to where we now don't have to to be constrained to this this law, this restriction and all these different things. There was like 600 something laws. It, It was a lot. There's no way they would ever be able to keep up with all of them and they failed many many times many many times and they would have to offer up these sacrifices with the blood of the animals so Jesus said you know what I'm going to put myself in that place and my blood will cover all the sins and so that's what I want us to do right now is to remember Jesus and the blood that was shed for you and for me so that we could have eternal life with him can we pray one more time Jesus thank you for your blood that was shed for us We give you honor and we give you praise. That you thought it best, not that we suffer, but that you suffer in our place. And that you would pour out your blood for us so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be saved. Jesus, we remember you right now. We give you thanks and praise. Let's take the cup together. Come on, I don't know about you, but I just feel a joy just washing over this place right now. Can we give God praise in the house right now? Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. We love you, Father. What I want us to do right now is I just want to declare victory over this place for just a few moments. 
We're going to go back into this song, Waymaker. You guys can even go ahead and start. You know what? This bridge, it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Come on. And then it goes into Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. He's the light. In the, you listen to the words that we're saying together, right? Listen to these words and declare victory over your life today. Come on. Let's declare a victory over this house, a victory over our city, a victory over our marriages, a victory over the sin in our lives. God, we declare victory today. Come on, can you lift up the praise? Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Lord, come on. Man, I'm so grateful today that you came to church. Are you glad you came to church today? Come on. I love, love, love taking communion with you, worshiping with you today. And, and I'm real excited for Easter at Radical Church this next Sunday. Make sure you bring that card, invite somebody. What I want to tell you right now uh, is if you want it, okay, we want to give you an extra way to help invite somebody to church, okay? Uh, my dad right there is holding up uh, some Easter Radical Church yard signs, y'all. So if you want it, it is free. Okay, we'll give it to you. We just want you to have an opportunity to invite your neighbors, your family to Easter at Radical, y'all. Let's get excited for what God is doing. We got that egg hunt. The kids are gonna love it. You're gonna have a great time, I promise. So uh, God bless you. You guys have an amazing day. We'll see you next week, all right?